you have your Bibles tonight, I invite you to turn to the book of Ezekiel. Tonight we're going to talk about Ezekiel chapter 4 and 5. Remember, uh, Ezekiel, a contemporary prophet of Jeremiah, uh, lived about the same time as Daniel uh, in um, a period of history when uh, God's people were being taken captive uh, in Israel. And uh, chapter 3, we spent the last couple weeks, actually three weeks because of the, the holiday, uh, talking about Ezekiel's call uh, to be a prophet. And last week talking about how, uh, about the uh, responsibility of being a watchman. Ezekiel is a very interesting book. God uses all kinds of interesting and strange uh, pictures and imagery to get his point across. Um, He has Ezekiel do some strange things. Uh, And this beginning, this is really the first message that uh, Ezekiel brings to the people. And unfortunately, it's not a very good message. Uh, It's a stern message from the Lord. Um, chapter 4, we're not going to take time, I'm just going to summarize for you that uh, God says to Ezekiel, I want you to take some uh, clay tablets and make a, a model of the city of Jerusalem. Remember that was God's uh, chosen and, and holy city and there's still uh, great debate and fighting about Jerusalem even in our world uh, today because of the significance uh, in biblical events. Uh, and so... Uh, He says, I want you to take this model, uh, and then I want you to lay on your side for 390 days. Long time. Then he said, I want you to lay on the other side 40 days. And he did. The people unquestionably thought that, man, that Ezekiel guy sure is odd. They probably thought, well, isn't that sweet? Uh... You know, he doing his little act for God, and it was entertainment to them. And probably eventually they just walked past it. It just becomes so common, just like we do when we see certain things every day. Eventually we quit noticing them, and we just assume that they're there. Well, the reason for that was the 390 years was for the number of years that the northern kingdom had rebelled against God. It was one day for every year. And that goes back, by the way, if you take the dates, about back to the time of Saul. Uh, and so uh, they hadn't been obeying for a long, long time. The southern kingdom, though, you remember, fared a little bit better. They were not good by any stretch of the imagination, but not quite as bad as the northern uh, tribes. These two faithful kingdoms, though, still had... And so he says... Listen and tell him that judgment time is coming. Uh, Even to the point, he says, I want you to gather together different grains and make a bread. And it wasn't, you know, it was partly wheat and barley. But things that normally you wouldn't put together. The book of Leviticus said they weren't supposed to to mix grains together. Uh, But here God tells Ezekiel to make this strange bread. uh, And he said... Uh, I want you to bake it over human dung. 
uh, and that got Ezekiel's attention. Ezekiel, and, and it shows, by the way, the reason God said it was because he wanted to show the people how much they had defiled God's uh, temple and that they had how much they had failed to be God's people. That this, and, and so the Lord relented when Ezekiel put up a little bit of a, said, okay, you can use cow dung, which still would not be your, even your second choice for food cooking. Uh, you put out uh, manure in your garden or something, you know how it stinks, and so you know you, you wouldn't cook with it. Uh, and so uh, he, the Lord says, you know, that they need to understand that uh, troubled times are going to come, and there's going to be uh, very little food. And the little food that they have, they're going to eat with trouble. And the little bit of water they had is going to, they're going to drink with anguish. And God goes on in chapter 5, and that's where we're going to pick up. Verse 1, he says, And you, son of man, take a sharp sword. Take it like a barber's razor and pass it over your head and your beard, and then take scales and weigh it and divide the hair. You shall burn with fire one-third in the midst of the city. And the days of the siege are finished. Then you shall take one-third and strike around it with the sword. And one-third you shall scatter in the wind. I will draw out a sword after them. And you shall take a small number of them and bind them to the edge of your garment. Then take some of them again and throw them into the midst of the fire and burn them in the fire. From there, a fire will go out into all of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, this is Jerusalem. I have set her in the midst of the nations and the countries all around her. She has rebelled against my judgments and doing wickedness more than the nations and against my statutes more than the countries that are all around her. For they have refused my judgments and they have not walked in my statutes. Therefore, this says the Lord God, because you have multiplied disobedience more than the nations that are around you, you have not walked in my statutes nor kept my judgments nor even done according to the judgments of the nations that are all around you. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Indeed I, even I, am against you and will execute judgments in your midst in the sight of the nations. And I will do among you what I have never done, and the like of which I will never do again because of your abominations. Therefore, fathers shall eat their sons in your midst, and sons shall eat their fathers. And I will execute judgments against you, and all of you who remain I will scatter to all the winds. Therefore, as I live, says the Lord God, surely because you have defiled my sanctuary with all your detestable things and with all your abominations, therefore I will diminish you. My eye will not spare, nor will I have any pity. One third of you shall die of pestilence. And be consumed with famine in your midst. One third shall fall by the sword all around you. And I will scatter another third to all the winds. And I will draw out a sword after them. Thus shall my anger be spent. And I will cause my fury to rest upon them. I will be avenged. And they shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken 
it, spoken it in my zeal when I have spent my fury upon them. Moreover, I will make you a waste and a reproach among the nations that are all around you in the sight of all who pass by. So it shall be a reproach, a taunt, a lesson, and an astonishment to the nations that are all around you when I execute judgments among you in anger and in fury and in furious rebukes. I, the Lord, have spoken. When I send against them terrible arrows a famine which shall be for destruction, which I will send to destroy you, I will increase the famine upon you and cut off your supply of bread. So I will send against you famine and wild beasts, and they will bereave you. Pestilence and blood shall pass through you, and I will bring the sword against you. I, the Lord, have spoken. Again, very sad and solemn words uh, that we need to be reminded of some things. There's that old adage, those that don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And Ezekiel's first message is it's time to pay the piper, Israel. You have played uh, a harlot to the Lord. You've gone out and you've compromised his truth. And you sin and you thought you've gotten away with it. uh, But the Lord has come for payment. And so the Lord has Ezekiel do these very, very strange things. The sword that Ezekiel took was, the the word that's used there is a word that's used to refer to the Babylonian uh, swords that had hooks on them. They were severe weapons. Babylonians were known to be just brutal people. He said, I want you to take one of the swords and I want you to cut your hair like a barber would. In other words, I want you to scalp yourself. I want you to take your hair and divide it. That's kind of an odd request, but Ezekiel did it. By the way, as we look through Ezekiel, we we find that though he didn't understand, and sometimes he, he really questioned the Lord like he did with the cooking of the bread and... Um, but he obeyed the Lord. So that though there was this rampant rebellion and I dare say apostasy among the people of Israel, there was a remnant. And so God says to him after he tells about the destruction that's coming uh, to Jerusalem, remember before Jerusalem would be destroyed, some, including Daniel uh, and his friends, Uh, were taken captive by the Babylonians in kind of the first wave, if you will. Uh, And while they were out in the wilderness, uh, Nebuchadnezzar did Jerusalem in. His armies came and decimated Jerusalem. Remember that the Jews took great pride in the covenant that they had with the Lord. They took great pride in the land, especially in Jerusalem. And so they thought, well, we have God's covenant, so, and he's promised that he, you know, you remember that, listen, he promised David. He said, David, your lineage, you're upon your throne, there'll be no end. And so that means no matter how we behave, we're good. God's going to, and God's promised this land as an everlasting inheritance. And so 
to them they reasoned that it doesn't matter how we behave, God's not going to go back on his promises. They were deceived because, you see, Satan is an expert at deceiving people. He's an expert at helping people justify sin. Most all of us don't need Satan's help in justifying our actions. We do a pretty good job of that on our own. But if we need help, Satan's right there. And he's more than willing to offer some rationalizations for our behavior. But you remember, as you look back on the covenant that God made with Abraham, he didn't just say, I will be your God, and I will bless those that bless you, and I'll curse those that curse you. He said, I will be your God, and you will be my people. And if there's anything that we need to take away from the lesson of Ezekiel, it's this. That with God's blessings come responsibilities. You see, it was a two-sided covenant. Just like any, you know, contracts take place between at least two parties, sometimes more. But it's expected that both parties live up to their end of the bargain. Especially when... It's made between Yahweh and people. And God says to Ezekiel, he said, listen, I want you to tell the people that they've brought this among themselves. Remember, Ezekiel was not the first prophet to ever show up in Israel. There were prophets way back, you know, hundreds of years before, even to warn people, to say, listen, you better quit your evil ways. You better turn your back, back, back to the Lord. You better get back to the Lord's house, and you better shape up. And there were periods throughout Israel's history where revival happened, and they did repent of their ways. You remember even in the book of Joshua when they first got into the promised land. Joshua had to round up those rascals, and they said, Listen, I've had enough of your fence straddling. You decide today who you're going to serve. If you think it's bad to serve the Lord and you want to go serve these foreign gods, then you go serve them. But quit you know, putting your little toe in the Lord's pool and swimming over in the world's pool. Can you remember the people, what they said? They said, Oh, Joshua... We will serve the Lord. He's our God, and we're going to serve Him and Him alone. And not only us, but all the generations that come after us. It was not very many years, though, in the grand scheme of history before we find Israel in the situation that they're in today. Only a few centuries between Saul and when the Assyrians came and took the ten northern tribes. And then only a couple hundred more years before Nebuchadnezzar showed up. But God had been calling him. But the people would not listen. And remember, that was one of the things God told Ezekiel, listen, the people are going to bind you. They're not going to listen to you. But you still have a responsibility to tell them. 
And friend, we need to understand, not only in our nation, but individually in our lives, when we want God's blessings, that means we also have to live for him. We can't just expect God to bless us and then for us to be able to live our life however we very well want. By and large, that's how a lot of so-called Christians want to live their life. While they want the benefit of, of being a Christian and being able to say that they belong to the Lord, and yet the only time they even think about the Lord might be on Christmas and Easter, if even then. And by the way, it's not just Christians that have that problem. Even Jews today, you know, numerous Jews are Jews in name only. They don't practice. And unfortunately, there's a lot of Christians today in name only. They don't practice their faith. And can I tell you that if you don't practice the faith of Christianity, you don't belong to the Lord. And if you don't practice it 365 days a year, you don't belong to the Lord. You see, one of the greatest lies that Satan's been coming up with through the ages is, listen, it doesn't matter how you live. God loves you, so he's not going to punish you. He's just going to give you what you want. And you know what? That sounds good. And so we buy into that lie. But folks, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. God knows our hearts and he knows our deeds. Now, it's true that Ezekiel was under the law. And we are now in the day of grace. But can I tell you that even under this new covenant that Jesus brought, it's still a two-sided covenant. It's not that we can just ask Jesus into our heart and then do whatever we very well want to. It's still the same. God says, listen, I will save you. I will redeem you and I will make you new. But when I do, you better understand you belong to me. And so the Lord gives this very stern judgment. I mean, it's a a serious thing. And it even mentions cannibalism, by the way, which is not just out of the blue. Uh, God said back in Leviticus, and again expounds it in the book of Deuteronomy, when he talks about the covenant of God's people. He said, if you break the covenant, these will be consequences. And the consequences would be that the famine would be so severe that family would eat famine. That they would not only turn against eat, but, I mean, that's just... It turns our stomach just to think about. And yet, remember that God had promised Israel and God promises his church. Remember, Jesus said, I will be there and I'll never forsake you and I'll never leave you. Jesus said, the Father knows what you have need of before you even ask him. God knows what we have need of, and he's able to supply it. But, friends, we better heed the warning of Ezekiel's chapter 4 and 5, and all the way through chapter 22, that our behavior needs to match up to what we say we believe about God. 
Because our behavior says what we believe. We are not saved by how we act. Paul says in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 that we are saved by grace through faith. And that faith is not even of ourselves. It's any man should boast. It's the gift of God. So we can't earn it. Baptism doesn't save you. Good deeds doesn't save you. You know, prayers, lighting candles at church doesn't save you. Taking communion doesn't save you. The only thing that can save you is putting your faith and trust in the atoning work of Jesus Christ. But when you do that, it shows in how you behave. It does not mean, friend, that Christians become sinless. This side of glory, we will not be sinless. But we should sin less and less the more we walk with the Lord. And we should be trying, our, our hearts should be that we don't want to sin. We, we don't go out seeking and looking for it. We sometimes might find it, but we don't go out and find it. And certainly when we do find it, we don't wallow around in it. The nation of Israel as a whole knows that God is lumping them all together. All 12 tribes. They all faced the same punishment because they'd all done the same stuff. One of them just received it a little bit sooner than the other. So God says, listen, I want you to take a third of that hair and I want you to burn it in the fire. And then take another third and scatter it. And that symbolizes a third of the people that are going to be you know, snuffed out through famine or through uh, the sword of you know, armies chasing after them and killing them. And a third of them are going to be led uh, captive and there's going to be famine and, and pestilence and, you know... It, Things are not going to be good. But friends, so often we forget about that little group. Because it wasn't just those three groups. He said, take a few of those hairs. Put them in the hem of your garment. In other words, God's reminding us that there's a remnant. God has always had a faithful remnant. And God can use faithful remnants to rebuild things. And by the way, he's done that since just about the beginning. That's what he did with Noah, wasn't it? He took a man who was faithful to him and repopulated the earth. God said, you know, and so what a wonderful picture those few are. And you know what? It is kind of discouraging sometimes if you let it be because the majority of people in our world, I dare say, are not concerned about serving the Lord. It seems most of the time that the majority of people are content just doing their own thing or, you know, just outrightly serving Satan. And 
and doing things that oppose God. But there will always be at least a few that God holds back. I say, you know, if you've had a, a house plant, there is, if you're not Leslie, house plants usually survive pretty good and they grow. And you can take a, a branch of a house plant and you can cut it off and put it in water, and you know what happens? It sprouts roots. You put it in a pot. They'll grow another plant. And sometimes that, sh- that shoot-off, that's probably not the official word, but uh, you know, somebody will tell me at church what it is, will grow bigger and healthier than that original plant. The original plant might die, but that there might be this offshoot that thrives and does even better than its parent. I think that's what the church and the faithful of the Lord. Though it may be fewer and it seems like it's not quite as strong, God has always used weak things to confound the wise, hasn't he? In fact, the Old Testament even refers to Jesus as a sprout, as an offshoot, a branch. And yet, he would save all of the world. And so even though God does issue severe, and I, I cannot communicate enough the dire consequences that God and judgment that God had pronounced on his people. And it wasn't because he was hateful, he was no longer merciful or loving, It was because he had given them every opportunity. He had sent prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet, and the result was always the same. The people wouldn't listen. The people knew what was expected of them, and they did not do it. They lived for themselves rather than for the Lord. And so the time came for them to pay the piper. And the results were not good. The city of Jerusalem destroyed. God's people taken captive. And by the way, God said, you know what? Because of the severity of what I'm going to do, the other nations that surround you are going to take notice of it. They're going to say, you know what? That God of Israel, he's not playing with them. When he said something, he meant it. And when he said he was going to do something, he he did it. Israel had become even worse than the heathen nations around it. Not just that they ignored the Lord, but they, I mean, they were just as secular as secular could be. I mean, they were heathens. And weren't ashamed of it. And so their sin found them out. And eventually, they end up paying a price. You see, that's what Satan does with sin. He makes it look very appetizing. 
And then once he gets you hooked, he gets you more and more and more hooked. And the result, you think that, oh, you're doing fine. You're floating, you're doing great. And then when you've realized the, the horror and the, the trouble that you're in, it's too late. The old song, I think it was the Kingsman, maybe Gold City, I don't know. That said, sin will take you farther than you wanted to go and cost you more than you wanted to pay. That's very true. And you know what? God's word warns us over and over and over again. Our nations, we celebrate our nation's birth uh, on Tuesday. It was founded by men, and by the way, some women. We don't talk much about them, but there were women that were involved in that movement as well. That believed that, you know, in, in liberty believed in freedom, but also believed that those things came with responsibility. And those things came at the hand of an almighty God. Well, there were a couple of deists, or there weren't any atheist signers of the Constitution. And most all of them, that I think I, if memory serves right, it was all but three of the signers of the Declaration of Independence were members of local churches. That mean they're not necessarily. Church membership didn't make you saved in then in 1776 any more than it does now today. It should, but not necessarily. But certainly, this nation was founded on some Christian principles, and over the last 250 years or so. We've slowly, slowly drifted. Seems like we're drifting a little faster the last few decades, but we've drifted nonetheless. And I tell you, if we're not careful, and if our nation does not return to the Lord, I believe that we're going to find pestilence and blood and famine and destruction in our land. God has been long-suffering with us, and I'm thankful for the Lord's long-suffering and patience. He knows that we, like Israel, we're thick-headed, stubborn people. And He knows that occasionally we can be rebellious. And He gives us opportunity to turn back to Him. Bible says if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He restores us just as if we had never sinned. But if we continue in that path of sin, we get close further and further and further and further away from the Lord until we get so far that we will never even think about turning back to him again. So the lesson of Ezekiel is remembering God has this remnant, but we need to remember that God's covenant blessings are real. I'm thankful for the blessings we have from the Lord. 
but we cannot take the blessings without taking the responsibilities as well. If we're going to take the Lord's blessings, then that means we've got to live for him, and we've got to serve him, and we've got to obey him. And when he says something, that settles it for us. There's no open debate. There's no, well, let's take a church vote and we'll see if this is a sin anymore. No. God says it's a sin. It's a sin. He hasn't changed his mind. We have to, if we want those blessings, that means we have to live through and carry through those responsibilities as well. But so thankful of the Lord's long suffering. but Ezekiel reminds us, the Lord's patience has an end to it. And I don't know when that day is. I don't know what that point is. But can I tell you, church, I don't want to find out. And I remember as a teenager, and probably maybe you did as a teenager too, maybe you all better than I was, I don't know. But mom would set a rule. She'd say, you be home by 10 o'clock. 10.05, close enough. Or, you know, that we could go, you know, so far down the road and we would see if we could go just a little bit further. You know, we can think sin looks mighty appetizing. But the truth is, sin will destroy. It's a cancer that will eat you up and destroy. And so we don't dabble with it. If we could take some cancer cells and put them in a jar, guess what? We wouldn't all hover around and say, oh, let me touch it. We'd stay away from it. You know, and they take those things out of your butt and they put them in this container and slap danger and warning and biohazard, all these things, and all kinds of different things they have to do to uh, destroy those things. Why? Because they're bad. And friends, we have to learn. We do not want the day to come. And the Lord says, all right, it's time to pay the piper. We want when that day of judgment comes for Jesus to say, you know what? He belongs to me. She belongs to me. I paid the price. And that settled it all. And I'm thankful for that. I hope you are too. But we have to again remember with covenant blessings come covenant responsibilities. We have to take both. The wonderful thing is Jesus says, My yoke is easy and my burden is light. There's joy in serving the Lord. Lord doesn't want it to be doomsday to serve him. But there are things that, you know, he has the right to call the shots. He's the Lord of our life. And we live for him. And we live according to his word. So I hope God will help us to remember that, to take um, stock and, and realize how blessed we are because of what the Lord has done for us. But also remember that God has brought judgment before. By the way, Scripture, even the New Testament says He's going to bring judgment again. 
thankfully, those who are the Lord's children won't have to go through that. But if you're not, it is not going to be fun. So I hope we'll learn that lesson so from history we don't repeat that. We would pray for our nation uh, that it would return to the Lord. Let's stand together tonight.